Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast with your host, John Fedro. Tune in weekly, plus listen to past episodes designed to make you money, save you time, and give you confidence as an active mobile home investor. Now, here's your host, John Fedro. I'm so glad that you guys are here. We got a ton of stuff to talk about for the folks watching this. Uh, there's a lot of questions that I, I kind of sent to the guys and they were nice enough to really, we're going to talk about learning lessons, opening up about scary stuff, uh, things that really changed, you know, or helped you in your businesses. And let's talk about this. Uh, Ian, Daniel, thank you so much for, for being here again. Definitely. Yeah. We're happy to be here. And uh, yeah, it means the world for us to have us. So kind of yeah, good. Man. Yeah, definitely appreciate it, John. Like, I mean, this was one of the first podcasts we listened to regarding, you know, mobile home investing. And then to finally be here on it is pretty cool. So, yeah, pretty, yeah man. pretty surreal full circle how things have been going. So, but. it's from the direct effort of you both. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about working together. I want to talk about the ups and downs, uh, how you've gotten to the point that you're at. Um, how long have you both uh, been investing? in mobile homes and also maybe in real estate if you got if you were doing that before yeah so i'll um i'll take this one we me and daniel we started the uh mobile home investment company um january 1st 2021 so uh right now we're, we're pretty much right around like two and a half years um i was a real estate agent um locally for since about 2018 so probably about you know three years prior to that so i still had a little bit of you new know, experience you know with the local markets and things like that and um, you know translating that into the new business that we're doing now certainly helped a lot so it's been pretty interesting but that's awesome so not that long you got started in the thick of covid um why mobile homes i'm not even sure if i know that question or what got you what was it about mobiles yeah so i mean i remember uh yeah like me and Ian graduating, we uh, graduated the same year in high school and we had a class together. We had known each other, you know, throughout high school and uh, had a class together. We were kind of sitting there, you know, about to graduate. Like, what in the world are we about to do? <laughs> so uh, I know Ian kind of found the real estate, uh, real estate avenue and started out, you know, potentially getting into, you know, real estate investing, fix and flips, things like that. Um, figured out pretty quickly that maybe there's different avenues with real estate investing, not just, you know, buying a property, fixing it up, flipping it. You know, there's obviously the agent route, investing, wholesaling, you know, a lot of different options. So um, he kind of went down, like you said, the, the real estate uh, agent route and was very successful with that for a few years. And then um, the whole time we were kind of doing our different side hustles. We've always kind of had different um, things that we like to do, obviously make money. And uh, eventually I'm thinking sometime around mid 2020, we were probably, you know, hanging out at one of each other's houses and we were kind of looking back into getting into real estate investing um, as we had kind of raised some capital. You know, we were in a little bit of a better financial spot, but not nothing too crazy. And um, at one point or another, I think Ian brought up the mobile home investing option. Um, obviously, I think potentially found one of your YouTube videos or, you know, another content creators video regarding it and um, started to look into it, realized that it was very similar to real estate investing, but obviously a little bit of a different industry and uh, really piqued our interest. I think we probably, you know, looked into, you know, a couple different things um, for, you know, six months or so. And then, yeah, right around the beginning of 2021, pulled the trigger on, you know, joining the course and then also just kind of diving in head first into the, into the industry. So. Yeah. Great job doing so much homework first or due diligence before jumping in. Um, I think that's so common. We just like get excited about something and we'll jump in first 
before doing a lot of research on what we want to do. There's so many things to make money in real estate. And this is just one of them. Yeah. Um, Having a, um, a little bit of background on the agent side and uh, being able to work with so many different people too, I was exposed to a lot of the different avenues of real estate. So that's how I've always tried to kind of format my business is not, you know, fish in the same pond where everybody has their lines in, but find, you know, the different kind of, you know, creeks to be able to find opportunity in. And uh, whenever we stumbled across, you know, your podcast and just, you know, mobile homes in general, I'm just like, this is genius. You know, why, why aren't more people doing this? And, um, you know, the more that we look into it and the more that we kind of compared what, you know, Daniel was doing, um, you know, making money and what I was doing over in real estate, you know, both of us were making, you know, good money, but, um, you know, really being able to find a business that we could adapt to our lifestyle was, um, you know, kind of what really drawed us into it. So what do you mean adapt to your lifestyle? Um, well, for one, with the, uh, with being a real estate agent, um, ultimately you, you have clients, so you're working for a lot of other people. Um, whenever I first got into real estate, I jumped in right out of high school and I knew I wanted to do real estate, but I, um, initially actually got into a, uh, another course about real estate investing. That's for, you know, wholesaling, fix and flips and things like that. So 18 years old, you know, freshman real estate school is, I'm going to flip my first house. I'm ready. And, uh, you know, there's so many videos and so many different things talking about how you can invest in real estate without having, you know, a bunch of capital, but, um, possible, but, you know, very difficult to do. And as I kind of, you know, gained a little bit more knowledge on it, I realized, you know, to get to this next aspect of my life, to be able to be a real investor, you're going to have to have some kind of capital. I didn't have, um, you know, with being 1099, being a real estate agent, you got to have at least two years of employment of making good money to be able to qualify for any kinds of things. And um, it was, um, you know, kind of a little bit of a hit being like, oh, okay, I can't, you know, start my investing career as soon as I'd like. But, you know, I said, you know, if I stick to two to three years of being an agent, I'll be exposed to so many different things and meet a lot of different people to really figure it out. So, I mean, you, you got, you wrote down right here, this is the question I'm, I'm, I want to say, cause this is amazing. Like, you know, how many deals have you been involved with up until this point? And right here, you wrote down around 75 deals. I mean, that's crazy that you don't get to that point without a lot of hard work, without a lot of sacrifice, things that people in, you know, decades older than you don't want to do or don't, or get scared or, or, or you know, the ingredients that you have. And maybe it's the support system of, you know, two best friends, like doing it together. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Definitely. Uh, I love, I love the, uh, the fact that you said sacrifice too, because, you know, especially whenever um, I got into real estate after about a year, year and a half, um, I had a pretty good successful start in the beginning. So I had a couple different agents under my wing that I would train and stuff oh, like nice. that. Uh, the question that, you know, I would always kind of ask them is how bad do you want it? You know, how bad do you want to be successful and things like that? Over the years, I've, um, started to see that that might not be the best question to ask people that are looking for success. Uh, what I ask them now was, what are you willing to sacrifice to get to the goal that you're willing to, that you want? Because ultimately that, that's what it comes down to. We all have 24 hours in a day and, um, you know, we choose how, we, how we're going to spend those hours basically. So kind of switching that, looking at it like that, being like, okay, if I sacrifice this now, I can get to this goal, you know, sooner than later. And, um, you know, being able to find the happy balance for it has definitely been a uh, interesting road give or take 10 grand or something. How much mm -hmm. capital did you have set aside for mobile home purposes? Um, Dan, you can take this one. Cause I know we, yeah, yeah for we sure. Mountains, <laughs> change yeah, exactly. yeah. So we both, yeah. So Ian was doing real estate. I had worked food and Bev, um, throughout my end of high school, kind of first year out of high school, um, was in at a pretty good, you know, spot that was a resort. So we were making some really good cash money, um, and was able to kind of, do a high savings, low spending type of lifestyle for a bit. 
Um, also got into like some crypto trading and stock investing, crypto investing. And so that was kind of another side route that I took for a while that was pretty well. Um, but in terms of the capital that we started with, so I think it was $15,000, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't necessarily something that we had put aside specifically for investing. I think um, after purchasing the course and, you know, making sure that we both have the funds available, it was right around 15000 um, we wanted to keep it, you know, as easy as possible. So I think it was something around, we both brought $7,500 to the table. Um, you know, obviously the first big investment was the course. And then along with, you know, some preliminary things, getting like the website up and running getting your first round of bandit signs, whatever else was the initial spent money, I think was around five grand. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we had about a $10,000 budget to start, you know, buying homes and then, you know, flipping homes with. So right on you. It got started with the website sooner than sooner than other folks. It got started mm-hmm. right away. With the ten grand, that's that's a lot of money, and also it's also not a lot of money. You can, if you sell homes on payments, you can run out of that money pretty quick. So mm-hmm. was what was ex- when you heard mobile homes, you know, were you thinking, oh, I'm going to get a park, or oh, cash flow, these things cash flow, and that's what I've heard, or flipping, let's take the wholesaling model with real estate and let's move it to uh, mobile homes. Was it what first excited you? And then how has your business changed? Yeah. So I think what really attracted us to, um, mobile homes in the beginning was the cash flow kind of aspect of it. I mean, we, you know, especially learning more about real estate and, you know, crypto and things like that. Um, you know, passive income has definitely just been, you know, one of the you know glamorized things that we've always wanted to dream about with it and learning a lot about, you know, the payments and, um, you know, being able to sell on owner finance for the mobile homes with, you know, such low money out of pocket was a, you know, very um, intriguing thought for us. As we started getting exposed to the business and um, saw the uh, quickness of being able to do the cash flips, um, I think it only took us maybe, you know, a few deals uh, before we kind of addicted to those and uh, fell in love with it. And as you've known over the past couple of years, it's been kind of hard for us to transition back into the uh, the rentals just because, you know, the systems that we have for the cash flips have just been so, um, easy to, um, I'm, I'm not going to say easy, but we've gotten so adapted to be able to do that, that, um, you know, whenever we do find something that we do want to sell on payments, there has to be a certain criteria that we want it to be meet. And, um, you know, as of right now, we're trying to, before we get more into passive, usually probably find like a bigger project, like a park to be able to dump some money into just because the, the cash flows have just been keeping us so busy and, um, you know, a little bit easier to manage. So if I'm hearing correctly, the very little or few to none homes you have cash flowing, they've all been paydays. I mean, cash, get your money out. And I love what you're doing and you have bigger goals. I mean, the, these individual mobile homes, they're like a stepping stone to get to stuff that we'll talk about later in the program and the, the call. But dude, you're doing, you're both doing <laughs> right. How's it been working uh, together? I know that like, how do you balance not wanting to strangle each other sometimes or you know i mean i don't unless your personalities are so well you've just known each other for so long yeah what are some hurdles or yeah well so we were both really good friends you know before the business side of things like i said you know high school days um lots of really fun crazy memories um but you know as we started moving into being business partners i mean man i'll give ian a shout out man i mean he's just been the greatest easy going to work with i mean we we both kind of take pride in having strong attributes with different things um you know sometimes we overlap there and we both are pretty good at some stuff or pretty bad at some stuff <laughs> but um all in all, like i think we've been able to find what we're good at personally and then really 
kind of let the other person do what they do well, take care of it. And then, you know, if there is a space where like needs improving or, you know, there's something that has to get done that we neither one of us want to do, maybe. Um, I mean, there's really as crazy as it sounds, two and a half years of pretty much on a daily basis, you know, talking about things friendship wise and business wise. Um, I mean, it's just been not really had a thought to think about, you know, having to strangle each other or, you know, have any two big problems. So I know they say, you know, keeping friends and business separate is a lot of times what people um, say to do. But yeah, like I said, it's just been pretty uh, easy going in terms of that from the jump. So it's been really awesome. But yeah, um, as rare as it sounds, I think it's um, it's crazy. It's I can't really recall a uh, time that me and Daniel have ever been particularly like mad at each other. I think one thing that we um, you know pride ourselves in, especially as you know as friends and also business owners too, is just communication. Um, if being able to you know communicate how you feel, not every day you're going to be 100, percent and um, you know being able to acknowledge that, and um, you know some days I might be slacking, and um, you know rather than me not showing up and just kind of putting back on him, it's a simple text or a simple call of saying, hey man, I've got some, some stuff going on right now, or I've got a couple stuff going on in a couple days being able to communicate that. And we just have such a good, you know, work balance of just like Daniel said, we have, we, we both have our strengths and all the different attributes and different avenues of the business, but being able to work each other daily for, you know, as long as we had, um, you know, if one of us needs to take over for a little bit for, you know, whether one of us wants to go on a trip or, you know, just need some time off or anything like that, you know, the system that we built has been, you know, very easy pass off without it being too much of a burden for the other person. So. Daniel said too, you know, saying if there's a thing that, you know, neither of us want to do, you know, ultimately it's better, you know, if we both do it together, you know, we both <laughs> you know, stuff that we both want to do together at one point or, you know, you know, we go back and forth and certain stuff. So yeah, having, um, you know, a person that's will, you can feel very comfortable around, but also will hold you accountable is, you know, definitely something that we've been, been very grateful about in our lives. So, I mean, it's, you know, especially us being the age that we're at and um, it being a, um, certain kind of a niche of a business, you know what I'm saying? There's only so many people that you can kind of, you know, talk to and ask questions for, and that's being able to bounce, you know, ideas off each other. And, you know, there have been times where we've sitting in a room for, you know, hours and hours and hours trying to come up with a single solution for, you know, saying a few different questions and how to, you know, make a million dollars in X amount of time and things like that. And, uh, but it's just, uh, you know, every, every time we have those conversations, we just, you know, learn a little bit more about it and, um, you know, take it and do our best to be able to implement it. So. Man. that's the real podcast we should be doing is how to make a million dollars in the next right. <laughs> 60 days i think the, the the one thing more to go into that with the uh, kind of balance between you know uh, everything is when you were asking about the lifestyle like how do we try to set this business up around you know the lifestyle that we wanted um working in you know either real estate or kind of a nine to five um type of job before getting into the mobile home investing, there was just certain things there that we we wanted, like we wanted to be able to travel. You know, that's something that's big, high priority on both of our, you know, lifestyle bucket list type of thing. Um, you know, having a workspace that you don't go to work and hate your life every day, right? <laughs> that's definitely big, you know. Um, being able to be around family, being able to just kind of do what you want to do with your life without, you know, not waking up five years later and saying, hey, I got some money saved up, but this has been awful the whole time, you know? So um, being able to make sure that we're accomplishing those things like traveling, like, um, you know, making money while still enjoying our lives, doing that as a team, you know, being a partnership, I think that's really been um, a plus there as well, because like you said, we can hold each other accountable to not only the work stuff, but the life stuff as well. Like 
hey, man, I know you wanted to go on this trip. Let's make it happen. Or, hey, you've been, you know, putting in 60 hours this week to this business. Let's go have a good time, you know, in our life, you know, whatever, whatever. So, um, yeah, definitely having because I feel like if you're in something by yourself, sometimes it can feel like I just got to go, go, go and go. And so, you know, I'm where I want to be. But um, having that accountability to, you know, make sure we're enjoying our lives is important as well. So that is what I needed to hear, like in my 20s that I was not that I mean, I, I did not have a good balance. I was definitely I wasn't miserable by any means. And I was doing this business, but I didn't. Uh, man, no, I, I love the fact that you worked and you played as well and traveled and had a good at least at least you were conscious of that of that balance so you don't uh, burn it's not always easy you know because like you have all these goals financially that you set with your business that you want to hit and if they're not getting hit then you feel like hey i need to put more work into the business which that is very true sometimes you know sometimes you do have to dial in and you know do more but um sometimes not killing yourself with the business and enjoying life um doing the things we want to do is like very important to us as well so i think we do a really good job balancing that definitely and I think, um, you know, a lot of times um, goals change, you know, I mean, the goal that you had at the beginning of the quarter versus the half of the year versus what you had last year or two years ago. I mean, those things change. And, um, you know, I feel um, at one point I was operating my life on an old version of myself's goals and that didn't, you know, correlate into what I wanted to do. So being able to, I call it the zoom out method where you kind of zoom out and, you know, really prioritize, you know, what's important to you. And, um, you know, life changes by the day. So, you know, what you want, you know, like I said, three months ago to what you want three months from now can completely change. And uh, I think being a business and as an entrepreneur in general is um, you have to be adaptable. And, um, you know, if you're not adaptable with, with markets and lifestyle and timelines and, you know, how many hours you're putting in, it's um, very easy to get left behind. So, oh, right. so very um, on top to be able to, you know, have those conversations. We make sure that we talk, you know, hours per week to make sure that we're moving in the direction that we both think is, you know, right. So. Yeah. And then um, hmm, I guess another one we had first, uh, you know, handyman flip that we did out into the country. And um, this was maybe our third or fourth deal. And, you know, Daniel mentioned it earlier. It was a 90s mobile home, metal siding, metal roof, no HVAC, no power, just big hot metal box ready to get renovated, basically. And so this is where you find out where your real friends are. Like I said earlier, <laughs> in the had no systems, no contractors, no nothing, just a couple dollars in a dream. So, you know, we call up our buddies and we're just like, hey, man, we're looking to flip this mobile home. Can you come out and paint with us? And <laughs> we had, you know, a couple couple people crazy enough to say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come out and help you out. So it's just us for maybe, you know, two days straight. And, and by that time, I think it was like midsummer, like July, August in you know, South Carolina. So easily, you know, over 95 degrees. And uh, we just have pictures and videos of us just drenched in sweat, doing the most awful paint job <laughs> with paint all over the floor and just, I mean, just not systemized at all. It was just a complete mess. And um, eventually after like two to three days of working, we start kind of, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the, the, the best exit strategy for it. So we, we just kind of took a whim. We're just like, man, we just can't keep, you know, sacrificing our time getting out of here. So we ended up, you know, putting it up for sale for a really crazy number. I mean, this was horrible looking. It was half painted, you know, just a completely ugly trail, a trailer. And um, ironically, we had somebody, you know, reach out to us and, um, you know, Daniel ended up closing it for, I think, asking price, honestly. If it wasn't asking price, it was like, you know, pretty darn close. And um, we made... I think we probably made more selling it like that than what we initially planned on, you know, renovating it. And then, you know, what we had is in terms of the ARV. So that was definitely a kind of a learning lesson in terms of, a, you know, have to have different exit strategies and be prepared to, you know, change 
change lanes if need be. What an eye-opener, or that people aren't seeing it. You know, we're seeing all the negatives because we know what it looked like, or we know how we bought it. But to somebody else, they're seeing the potential and the home and the walls and the bedrooms. and the, mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the funny parts of that story as well was, like, I remember being out there late one night uh, trying to finish up this this beautiful paint job that we're doing. And, uh, <laughs> so once it gets dark, you know, we have a few lights, I think, you know, set up like work, work lights, you know, um, but definitely not the best visibility going on. And uh, so we, so we wrap up for the night. We're like, all right, you know, we finally got this, you know, the couple rooms done or whatever it was packed up shop, you know, headed home. And then the next day when we headed out, when the uh, sun was out and we had plenty of visibility, it was just like, this is not the same paint job that we left it. <laughs> we were sitting there with our phones with the lights on, trying to roll it and you know, make sure everything was, I mean, because it had no power and we had no, yes. no sleep lights or anything. We were just kind of doing what we can. And, uh, I think that's the day that we decided, hey, let's see what we can maybe sell it. <laughs> on average, is there is there an average deal? Yeah, so I would say like probably somewhere around sub 50% are in parks, Um, probably closer to 25 to 35% are homes that are in parks. Um, in the area we're in, it's, you know, a kind of like a pretty metro city type of area, but then the outskirts are a lot of, you know, more rural places. Um, so what we've seen is in the more rural outskirts, there's a ton of homes that, you know, are older, you know, whether it's mid to late 80s, 90s models, you know, 2000s even, um, that are on a piece of land and the property owner wants it removed for, you know, a number of different reasons. Um, so most of our deals, I'd say right around 50 to 75% are actually homes that have to be removed from the property. Um, and then of that, I'd say, you know, probably about half of them are what we call like the quick flip style where, you know, it's more so just like old home. They just want it gone. So we'll get it hauled out, you know, cleared out, um, maybe deep cleaned, and then you pretty much be ready to, you know, get it going that way. Um, and then the other probably about 50% are renovation style homes that, you know, need some work. And so we also have a pretty good um, system to, to get the renovations done as well and get the home back into livable condition and, you know, maybe even update it a bit, make it a little more appealing. And then um, finding somebody that wants to, yeah, have that moved onto their land as their new home. So That's awesome. Do you have a, so you're, you are fixing up some of these. Do you have a, a dealer's lot that you're moving them to as like a holding point? where you keep kind of keeping them where they are yeah so we have a couple options there that's kind of part of like the criteria we look at and the system that we um, figure out kind of what our exit strategy for each home is because a lot of the homes that need renovations you could also you know get them sold as is without the renovations done to like a handyman or maybe a dealer mover that wants to move it to their lot and fix it up um so we have some options there we actually have another buddy a real estate investor friend that has a lot out um, a couple cities over from us that we can move them to and flip them up or fix them up there. So we've done that a couple times as well. So a couple different options there. Um, and then sometimes the landowner is aware that the home needs some renovations. And so sometimes we'll just have that conversation with them and make sure that it's cool if we send our guys out to get it fixed up. So yes, we've learned a lot of the issues that you deal you deal with with mobile home investing can be you know avoided if you're just honest with the people that you're doing the transaction with. So. If, um, you know, if the home is in need, we, we take on some pretty big jobs sometimes and things like that, especially with working some older homes and, um, you know, being able to, you know, let the seller know like, hey, we're going to have to get this home looked at and, you know, inspected to make sure that the, even the structural integrity is good enough to even be able to get onto a truck. 
and um, you know being able to communicate them. I, like I said, I think communication is a big thing that um, a lot of people lack, especially within transactional type businesses. Um, if you're going to send a crew to be able to you know go onto the lot or something that has to be fixed, letting the homeowner know you know what day and time they're going to be able to show up, um, answering you know it's little things like that, just going a little bit you know over the extra mile just to you know make sure everybody everybody that's involved in the transaction is aware of what's going on. Do you think your age? Yeah, do you think your age helps in, in certain certain ways? Um, I would say 10 to 15% and in terms of my appointments say something positive in terms of my age, if that makes sense. Everything else is kind of more of a hindrance to an extent. Whenever you're um, a little bit younger, you have to prove yourself a little bit more. You have to, you know, definitely, you know, communicate that you know what you're talking about and, you know, make these people feel confident in you since they're, you know, trusting you to be able to do, you know, what can be to them, you know, a really big transaction. So that, that's definitely a hurdle that we both had to, um, you know, kind of get over. But, um, you know, that comes down to, you know, your professionalism, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and also the track record of the deals that we've done to, you know, show like, hey, this is what we've done. This is what we built. Here's what we can do for you and, um, you know, sticking to it. So have you ever leaned on the, you know, the common thing where it's like, I got a partner, I got to talk to my boss, got to talk to my, you know, the oh, other okay. people. Okay. Oh, you'd, be, you'd be surprised how many times I said I have to call Mr. Daniel to get the, the thumbs up on something. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, and I think that's actually something we picked up in the course too. I think there is at one point, um, you know, talking about maybe different personas that you could play as you're running these appointments. Hmm. And um, I think one of them was kind of that, you know, uh, smaller fish in a big, ocean type of thing where you can kind of play that you're you know maybe running the acquisition appointment but you're not the decision maker Big time. and um so what that can do obviously is help with um yeah different offers and things you know they're not gonna say hey the, what is this 20 year old kid gonna offer me you know on the spot for my home rather hey they're just running an appointment they have a team that they're working with um which is true we do have a team but right a lot of times it is just a <laughs> two-man team so <laughs> And that also kind of helps with the, the person that they're in communication with to be able to you know, negotiate the offer. Um, they're not the bad guy. They're not the person, you know what I'm saying, that's sending the low offer, you know, you could, you know, and, and just being able to communicate with that people and let them know and um, having the conversation is the more information that you can give me to, you know, take to my partner or take to my team, the better that we can understand, you know, what your goals are to make sure that we can get as close as we can to, you know, accomplish those. So being able to, you know, have somebody else to call before, you know, one decision is made to, and um, it's good to just get a, you know, a second pair of eyes on things as well, too. I mean, one way you could be looking at a deal um, and, you know, take it to, you know, Daniel to look at it. And he's just like, well, have you thought about this? Or what if this happens? You're like, oh, well, yeah, that, that, that is an option. So, right. so, yeah, it definitely helps out. A, a lot of us don't like necessarily like, like conflict. So even just buying yourself a little bit of time to, uh, it was funny. I was on the, I was doing when I was, uh, I was like, let me, let me, uh, let me talk to my partner. And so I, I made a, uh, a fake phone call and was pretending I was calling someone. And then I was having this really in-depth conversation. Like, you know, like, I don't know if we can do this. Try like a, the, the seller was a little further away, but I kind of knew that they were going to hear. And then it started ringing real loud as I'm talking. Like, doo -doo 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 -doo. I'm like, oh, uh, what happened? The call dropped. I thought I was talking to you. And like, just felt like so stupid. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've definitely had some buyer negotiations um, where we'll definitely call one another and, you know, like you said, kind of just play a play a good part of, you know, uh, do you think we can do it for a couple thousand left? So, well, let me talk to my partner, you know, oh, I don't think we can go down that far, maybe meet in the middle somewhere. So <laughs> it is a pretty, 
said we can go. He said he can meet you if we can do this date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we good? Are we good? Let's Let me talk good. to him. Let me talk to him. Put on speakerphone. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had anybody else discriminate you for uh, on anything else? Looks or the what you did or what you didn't do or anything like that or where you're from? All the time. So, um, you know, South Carolina definitely has a lot of different, you know, demographics of different areas and stuff like that. And, um, you know, one big thing for me is I'm, I'm always, you know, covered with tattoos, basically from, you know, head to toe, um, you know, my legs and arms and stuff like that. And uh, it took me a long time, you know, probably from like 18 to 20 years old, um, whether it was 115 degrees outside, I would have a, you know, button up long sleeve shirt up, just, you know, covering everything. And uh, as I grew older, you know, kind of, you know, grew more confidence and stuff, it came down to the conclusion, well, if they're not going to, they're not able to work with me due to, you know, what I choose to put on my body or, you know, the color that I am, but that's not someone I want to do business with, in, you know, in general. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, people, people rarely, you know, say anything, but you can definitely, you know, see the little, like, you know, look up and down and, you know, be able to, you know, kind of validate yourself for them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the amount of, you know, racist comments that we've kind of gotten, you know, I've gotten certain appointments and stuff like that. That's definitely been out there. I've had some, Damn. Deals, you know, not deals, deals due to, you know, how I look and things like that too. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it was meant to happen, it was meant to happen. And, you know, it didn't. So probably made our lives a little bit easier than, um, you know, if we would have actually took that transaction and had someone you kind of, you know, on our butt the entire time. Bunch of idiots. I don't want your money because of- <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, hey man, if you, if you don't want the money, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll spend it somewhere else. So mm-hmm. it's like, hey, talk to my partner then. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, hey, <laughs> and I know I was listening to one podcast of yours, John, that um, y'all were talking about kind of the similar thing with the age. And uh, definitely, when we first started, I was still, I think, eighteen years old. You know, Ian was probably around twenty-one, and so we were both um, definitely on the younger side of things. And uh, it was cool hearing y'all talk about it because I remember when we first started. Like Ian said, I had really no experience negotiating, no experience presenting contracts, even if it's a one-page simple bill of sale, like no experience at all. And um, being to hear other people go through the similar things of, hey, I'm so young, I'm going to try and you know deepen my voice when I talk on the phone, or I'm going to try and dress up in this nice professional outfit to maybe please the, the seller or buyer that I'm going to talk with. And uh, with everything Ian just said as well, we kind of both kind of came to the conclusion that like, you can just be yourself and not stress out about it, not even really consider the preconsumption somebody's going to make when they see you as anything, then um, it just makes the whole process a lot easier. Like we definitely have um, prided ourselves in not really trying to yeah. be something that we're not while we're, you know, conducting business. So, yeah. Dude, heck yeah. Great job being yourself. You don't have to think about who was I pretending to be or, how are these people going to think? This business is difficult enough without having to like appease people mm-hmm. for some stupid reasons. People don't care uh, how much you know when they know how much you care about them and like mm-hmm. listening to their situation. Because yeah, as like that employee partner role, you don't have to know everything. They mm-hmm. send you to the appointment because you're the per- people person and because you know, you're getting the info and then all the math and you know, offers can be done at the office or later, you know, Nick, right. so, and it's, you know, a transaction, it's, you know, especially with, um, you know, with negotiating for the ones that we're purchasing for acquisitions, it's about trust, you know, um, they could, you know, especially in a more competitive market that we're in, they could have three to five, you know, other investors come by and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, sometimes we're in competition with it, but, um, you know, being able to have that conversation with the seller and be like, okay, well, you know, we've got the price dictated. What else is important to you? 
what you know what what are these other things that we could you know potentially stack onto our offer to be able to make this deal work because you know we want to be able to provide you know a service-based business and um if you do choose to trust us to do this transaction for you, you want to make sure that you don't think it was a regret you know six weeks down the line or anything like that so are you actually saying that or is that more your mentality to try to pull out what they need and solve it for them or do you just oh, straight up ask them I'll say, on, I'll say that on the phone all the time okay. you know especially when we're you know super close on numbers you know I'll, you know, I'll ask them um you know it obviously sounds that you know for the numeric part of the equation that we're going to be able to come to an agreement i have confidence in that what is important to you in terms of that you know you're going to get paid at wow. the end of this day, but um you know on top of that what is anything else that we're able to do to sweeten this deal to make sure that you know that you're not getting a short end of the stick by you know working with us basically so I think usually it seems that like it's something regarding the timeline, you know, like they need maybe a couple extra weeks to get the furniture out or, you know, this or that. Um, and then also with making sure that the property, if it is a home that's getting removed from the property, making sure that the property is, you know, maintained in the condition that they want it. So like a lot of times, you know, you'll see a mover go out and move a home and the entire property is wrecked just from, you know, getting that home moved off. And so, um, you know, if that's a big priority to them, then we can also kind of offer some things to help make sure that the lot gets cleaned up and that it maintains um, a good presentation throughout the process so that it doesn't look like a crazy, you know, <laughs> jumbled mess is going on for several weeks out on their property. So talk about communication. I mean, mm -hmm. you're if you can get them, the buyer or the seller communicating with you more, they've told you both more than they've told somebody else. That is huge. I mean, that's builds, builds trust, builds rapport. I mean, gives you a little bit of an edge there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Damn. Yeah, I think, you know, having the clear expectations from both parties, you know, is um, a really key ingredient to make sure that there's less disappointment and, or even no disappointment in, in terms of the transaction. Um, you know, how well you prepare, you know, the seller, you prepare your buyer in terms of timelines and, you know, what's going to you know, walk them through the transaction. Um, answering the questions before they even ask them. I, I always like that very important in terms of that, just so that way, by the time that they get to the end of the phone call, we get to ask them, well, is there anything else that you, you know, you want to ask or anything like that? And it's like, uh, not really, you know, you, you basically covered all the bases and, you know, very impressed with the presentation. And uh, it goes a long way, you know, I mean, making the phone call, you know, two extra minutes, just be able to, you know, build these rapport and making these people feel comfortable with you that can, you know, add, you know, countless numbers of deals if you're just willing to put in a little bit of effort on the transactions for it. So. Yeah, we get, we get calls all the time of people that are like, you know, trying to find a title for a home that's detitled or they lost a title or, you know, they just have, like you said, kind of different questions, mobile home related. And they'll just see our, you know, our sign or, you know, our advertisement somewhere and call us and just ask the question. And uh, we definitely try to, you know, yes. present good answers and, you know, be, be very kind of, like you said, customer service based um, just because you never know whenever down the road that person have another question or want to sell or want to buy or you can always be kind of one of their first, um, you know, contacts for it. So it's funny that the uh, the last home that we actually disclosed on um, the double wide that we had, it actually started six months ago when we had a 15, 20 minute conversation about the steps of contacting the Blythewood, you know, the DMV to be able to get the, um, you know, title that, you know, was lost, that was never, you know, be able to do it. And, um, you know, being able to take that time and help her, you know, she saved my information. And then, you know, it's the day that she got the title in hand, she called us and, you know, two days later, two days later we were closing on it and it's a you know, really good deal. So it definitely comes back around for sure. Was that an outlier? Do they usually take closer to six months from start? Like you initially talk to the person to then you're, you know, closing with that home? Or does it more like you talk to them Tuesday and you're closing on Wednesday? Or 
Um, it really depends on the situation that the person's in. Um, you know, a lot of the times, some um, some transactions are where people are inheriting inheriting different mobile homes. Um, you know, probate's a really big one. Um, you know, divorce and things like that. Sometimes, um, you know, the home will be their father's, and they never, you know, got the title transferred, and then dad passed away, and you know, how to be able to, you know, make sure everything gets signed up for them. So. With things like that, um, you know, we do our best to be able to get them in touch with the, you know, the DMV because the DMV, they're the, you know, they're the, they're the ones that are going to tell you, you know, what has to be done in order to, you know, get that title. And, um, you know, there's certain things that um, they're going to operate at their own speed, obviously. So, you know, so most of the times that we've seen, if it's a, um, you know, title that has to go through probate and stuff like that, a lot of times we'll see, you know, anywhere from about, you know, two to six months. But um, if it's, I mean, we've got one title right now where we just got into the mail and, because their mother passed away, they have to get all three siblings to sign the, the back of the title for them to be able to get the, the mother taken off the title. So I'm, I'm on the phone with her daily, you know, on the phone with the brother, to, you know, telling him and screenshotting where to sign. And then they're going to overnight it over to the sister and show her where to sign. And once that sister signs, it comes back to where we're at Charleston for the last sister. And then we get it, you know, transferred over. So, but, um, and that's been a, a you know, transaction that's taken us about six months. But um, in terms of the actual, you know, hours that you're putting into it, it's not that much. And you know, you're going to get paid at the end of it. So it's a little bit. Yes, it does make it worth it. Wow. And, then, and some, of, some of the deals are definitely a lot quicker. You know, if they have a free title in hand, they have full ownership of the home, then a lot of the times it can be the same week where oh, yeah. you know, we get the call or whatever, go out and check out the home. And then, yeah, within a day or two or, you know, there with the cashier's check, getting the title and, you know, transferring it into our name. So it really depends, I guess, um, in terms of the timeline for it, too. So. I, I'd say one of our easiest deals was probably mid last year. And um, like I said, we try to run our business in terms of like, you know, service-based business. So we always try to, you know, ask as many questions as we can to the seller to make sure that, you know, they feel like they're getting a good deal as well. And um, it was wide in a community. Um, it was actually a 55 plus community. And this home had to be, I think they were removing it from the park due to them wanting to put like a newer home into it. So they contacted us to kind of help with that transaction. And um, met the, you know, I met the, the, the lady, I met the, the mom that was living in the home and then also the daughter, you know, at the home, walked through everything, got pictures, had the conversation. And, um, you know, I asked them, you know, what their ultimate goal was and, you know, how much they wanted to, um, you know, walk away with it. And uh, they set a price and um, instantly I was just like, okay, yeah, we'll, we could, you know, do this deal, no problem at all. So, you know, with that, with that price. So ended up calling back, you know, talk with them a little bit. I think we ended up, offering maybe, you know, a thousand or, you know, a couple of hundred dollars less than, you know, I'm saying what their asking price was, but still established a price that, you know, they were very, very happy with as well as with the community and things like that. Um, so we ended up closing on a Wednesday. Um, I think we had it deep cleaned on a Thursday and then we ended up selling it for three times what we paid for it on Friday. Whoa. You had so many people ready or that you had a buyer's list or yeah, um, we, at this point in time we built a good relationship with a uh, another investor kind of um mid-state and um the, the particular home was just the exact um criteria of what he was looking for basically and he was just said as soon as we found something you know let him know so we let him know basically you know thursday whenever we were getting a clean he came down um you know the morning after and you know ended up closing that afternoon so worked out pretty perfect the ideas and advice given in today's episode are for entertainment purposes only. If you have future ideas or questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at support at mobilehomeinvesting.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, the biggest compliment you can give is to like and share this podcast with your friends. 